Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Women in Agile podcast, the Code of Ethical Conduct for Agile Coaching Series. I am your host, Renee Craven, and today's episode features Chitra Ramachandran and Steve Hoyler. Chitra is a technologist at heart, offering over 19 years of software product development experience, leading global technology teams, and delivery of impact-oriented, high-value programs. As a lead coach in her role, Chitra loves designing coaching interventions, working for lean, agile DevOps transformations, and code craftsmanship. Steve serves non-profit organizations, NGOs, companies, and teams on a mission. He's an agile coach, facilitator, speaker, and Penguin's friend, helping organizations hone collaboration and agile practice. He's helped environmental activists, conservationists, late-stage pharmaceutical drug developers, product teams, and customer system developers. Based in Switzerland, he works in Europe and Africa. In this episode, I chat to Chithra and Steve about Section 7 of the Code of Ethical Conduct, which is agreeing on boundaries. We discuss the importance of boundaries and the challenges that coaches can have when establishing boundaries with their clients. Thank you for tuning in to the Women in Agile podcast. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Chitra and Steve. Chitra, Steve, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Great to meet you. Thank you. Um, Let's start things off by explaining to our listeners how you guys became involved in the Code of Ethics. Do you want to go first, Chitra? Yeah, sure. I'd love that. So this all started uh, beautifully on a... Thursday afternoon when I had a chat with uh, Shane on multiple things going over um, some items when I was serving as a consultant agile coach in Sydney back in 2018 uh, when I was just bouncing with him on the need for ethics, coaching ethics, much like the Hippocrates oath that doctors and surgeons sign up to. I was asking him why not have one because the the way the industry was spiraling into agile and agile transformations with consultants and agile coaches, this was a very um, impactful uh, topic that I was sitting with. So uh, back then, later, um, COVID happened and a lot of things happened. The rest is history. But we had a lovely set of people um, who came in together. Shane got me involved because I also had a lot of interest in the topic and uh, Things have been great so far. Beautiful. See, what about yourself? Yeah. Yeah, Shane Shane comes up a lot. I think we probably have to um, – we owe a lot to Shane um, because that's my story as well. Uh, my my good colleague, Deborah Hartman-Preuss, who is, has been involved in some way with uh, women in Agile for, for a long, long time um, – her and I uh, were hosting a series of online meetups. And interestingly enough, it was, I recall this, it was just before the lockdowns because we were doing these online meetups long before everybody started doing them with the lockdowns. And um, uh, of course, we weren't the only ones. But uh, I do remember that on that call, we were talking about lockdowns or the lock. some people were saying the lockdowns are coming and we're like, oh, I hope they don't come here. And then like within a week, the lockdowns were here. But that's kind of beside the point. Shane was on that call and Deborah and I both talk a lot about ethics and boundaries and the approach to coaching being related to boundaries. I was able to join. Deborah was invited to, but, um, but she wasn't able to join at the time. 
So the section that we are discussing today is uh, the seven, number seven, agreeing on boundaries in the Code of Ethics. Uh, so let me just read out the um, dot points underneath this section and then we'll have a, we'll have a chat about it. Um, so agreeing on boundaries, I will ensure we have an agreed upon scope, even if it evolves. I will work with the client to understand their needs and avoid imposing solutions based on my personal preferences and desires. And I will openly challenge when my client is pursuing purposes at odds with the Agile Manifesto's values and principles. It's quite a powerful um, section, I would say. And um, I was talking to Chithra and I was just uh, chatting before and we were saying about how um, when I, particularly myself, when I read this section of the code, I'm like, yes, there's so many people <laughs> that I've worked with in the past, um, both clients and coaches, where I, I kind of wish that this had been written down a lot sooner so that I could have gone, oh, okay, that's what I should do there and that's what I should have done there. Um, how, what are your personal connections to this topic? Yeah, well, first, when you, when you just read that out and I heard it again, again, it hit me like, wow. So just like you're saying, like the first time you read it, you're like, and I just heard it again and went, wow. Uh, so it is a, it is a topic that resonates deeply. Um, I think, yeah, well, per, so many personal questions, um, personal connections. I mean, I have worked in situations where boundaries just were not respected and I felt that there was some danger I, actually people had were in uh, some kind of danger in that situation and that has always concerned me and so i think when you've been in a situation that feels dangerous it, you have a connection to want to change that uh, and it's in working with professional coaches who have been through coaching certifications who really brought me to the to the understanding that Coaching is about seeking, uh, working with informed consent to uh, work with people to become what they're looking for. And not, it's the goal of coaching uh, is not to fix people, but to help people reach their goals. And uh, yeah, that has informed my work for a long time. And so that goes into this whole connection to the, to the topic as well. It's like, yeah, we've got to do this. To me, boundaries is uh, the foremost and a very, very powerful tool when it comes to coaching and specifically to agile coaching. I think uh, this translates to, you know, the directness, sometimes also being culturally sensitive to how you articulate preserving the self-respect yeah. for your clients, not delineating them, not calling out people based on uh, 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 certain etiquettes and decorum, maintaining that also having enough transparency in the system in terms of progress, in terms of um, challenges, even sometimes calling out operational efficiencies that exist in the coaching organization inherently. It is sometimes double-sided 
based on the teams that you are part of based on the organization that you are part of and especially when you go on a consulting mode it's a very very broad very sensitive aspect that a coach has to um, consciously navigate into yeah definitely yes i'm i'm and i'm so glad you brought that up cuz i'm i'm there's that the almost the two parts to this this part of the the code of ethics and the one is the respecting the boundaries and the other part is speaking for the agile manifesto um which has always been a challenge with agile coaching and consulting we're called in we're hired to represent a viewpoint and to talk about a process or a series of frameworks and so that's part of our job and coaching is in our title so one thing to be successful in transformation i think we do have to work with this idea of in, inviting people in and respecting boundaries and we're also we also have the job to represent something which is part of which is here the agile manifesto and so that's a real interesting line to try to navigate so it's very i i think there's a lot of um, as i recall a lot of communication and discussion in the as we were creating the code of ethics is you know, how do we represent that, that tension and i think that's what's come out here and i think yeah that's one thing that resonates is like oh there's two parts of it i think that's what one thing that grabs me yes so it, and it, it's it's interesting um cuz i've got two questions but i don't no, and it's for each part. So let's go with the first part. Um, <laughs> yeah. Where, we take them together, but there's two we, parts. Well. We want to ensure we have an – yeah, we want to ensure we have an agreed-upon scope even if it evolves. And, I mean, I know coaching agreements is something that we – a tool or a technique that we use to help uh, have – agree on those boundaries – um, are there any other tools or techniques that you guys use that we could, that coaches could use in place of, or in, um, as well as that coaching agreement to help agree on those boundaries? Yeah, I would say, well, first, as well as, um, because I think those coaching agreements are so important um, more than instead of, although I can think of their, their, I can think of this coaching agreement can sometimes be more formal and sometimes less formal. Uh, I, I've spoken a lot about this idea of informed consent. Uh, uh, we'd like the people we're working with to actively give their consent, their permission for us to work with them. Uh, and of course, to do that, the, everybody has to understand what it is that they're, consenting to. And I think because of the work we're doing in transformation, that understanding is going to emerge, which is also meaning evolving. But you asked about tools. Another thing that I, I love to talk about that's kind of next to this is the concept of emergence and that's represented in open space technology. Uh, and we've seen a lot of open space events in various, uh, in, in various agile situations. And sometimes I think this is really well understood and sometimes not as well understood, but I, for me, the essence of open space is in making an invitation and then allowing the system to form around that invitation to do what needs to be done. And as a tool, 
it, it's there are boundaries in open space, but they're pretty broad. But there are boundaries, so it's it's kind of a tool that's next to what we're talking about. That it helps us. I think it teaches everybody this idea of make an invitation and respond to an invitation and establish the boundaries as you go. So I think that's that's the other tool that informs me and as well as coaching agreements. They're almost, they're not the opposite, but they're kind of different sides of that coin. I think you've brought a great point, uh, Steve, to your um, subtle uh, aspect on the tools, right? I was also uh, listing out a few other things like including practices to protect your client's emotional safety, psychological safety of the coaching teams, being impartial, being non-judgmental, and wherever possible, also have, like you mentioned, tools that would automatically assess the inherent um, agile transformation journey or the psychological safety, whatever that we may assess, whether it's the transformation or the cultural aspects of it, um, but have a, a hands-free approach where the coach will don't have to, you know, have a hand there or in, deliberately not being able to put a hand there. And the entire process is very pristine and clear. So there is no breach of um, understanding and agreements on either sides. And there is no um, uh, influential or gaming the system there. Because anecdotally, if I'm a coach, um, I've had once a coach, uh, a fellow coach, um, who walked up to me to bounce off something where he was having a huge challenge to having to present a particular assessment report, agile assessment report in a particular manner, because somewhere there were informal unofficial rules that, yeah, it's been already a quarter. We should have probably moved from crawl to walk stage. And why is the report not showing up? And, you know, all the fabrication that they are forced to do. You know, I'm not saying this is ethical or unethical. It's it's self-explanatory. But, you know, having to do with all of that. Now, if, if you had a tool that would automatically capture it and it's not really part of uh, the coach's um, um, control per se, then things are going to be a lot different. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, you reminded me of an, in Scrum, we talk about the information radiators. And I think it's a, sometimes a word we throw around a little bit too too glibly like oh yeah the information radiators but i that is getting to the idea of just putting the information out there so that it's self it's self-documenting and the people can work with it so i love yeah that's the first thing i thought of when you said that is like oh you start with the information radiators and you go from there um and you're my oh you said you reminded me of anecdotal um something that kind of fits here what you're saying and different is in my first coaching role, when I was moving from being a scrum master for an organization to coaching another, to coaching several organizations. Um, I was also in that situation where after a week of work, I needed to give it, deliver an assessment and the day, the afternoon before I was to deliver the assessment, the senior manager sat down with me and said, here are the things we want you to say, because it's the word that management wants them to have. And we don't want to be 
we don't want to be the one to say it. We want you to say it. And what the, I didn't find that the manager, one, one, I didn't really want to be delivering the manager's opinion, uh, whether I agreed or not. But two, I didn't really agree with what was, I didn't find that what was being said was in line with the Agile Manifest or what was I being asked to say was in line. I didn't handle that one very well. And I didn't keep that client afterwards. Um, I didn't handle that one well because I knew that there was something that needed to be addressed and I didn't know how to address it. So I just kind of ignored it, uh, which from which I learned, yeah, when that happens again, also backed up by this new code of ethics to say, okay, this is, here's why I can't do that. Or I, I, now I know to have a, a better conversation with that manager about it. But at the time, as I was new, I was like, oh, I don't even know what to do. Yeah, absolutely. Your loyalty for the organization that you're part of or affiliated to gets a workout and you tend to like, oh, is this ethical? Where are my lines? Where do I draw my yeah. boundaries? Yeah, because I remember we were talking about this a lot when we were working together is that there's a model of consulting where management does hire you to bring the bad news. And if as coaching, agile coaching is not fully understood, we often get put into that model of consulting. So, of course, the company who's used to that model of consulting has really no reason not to ask us to be in that position. Um, so the Code of Ethics gives us a, w a way to negotiate that ahead of time, a way to talk about it after the fact. And I guess I think we, since we're both talking about these anecdotes we have remembering there's an S there's as always, there's just an, a, a part there's experience as we gain experience. We're like, Oh, that happened next time. I've now I've learned that I would like to handle that differently. So, uh, all along Shane said, and other people said that the, the code of ethics gives us a way to have these conversations. And I think that's, that's, that's just coming to mind again. This is a, a prime example, or at least every time Shane says that, I'm like, I think of this particular situation, this particular, I think, yeah, I wish they had that. I think that's the power behind this code of ethics is that the, you know, not only does each section have the examples of, um, you know, approaches to s certain scenarios um, but it's the stories that we've heard through recording all of these podcasts that are, I think are the, um, you know, it's just an extra added um, benefit, I guess, to the, our listeners to, to hear all these personal stories. Um, I, I had one hear. around, yeah, um, I had uh, this, this first one with the, the, the first example in this section is around uh, the coaching agreement having a, um, having that in place and having a broad uh, agreement of what the coach is um, there for, what's their objectives and things like that. And um, I was working with one client a couple of years ago and I had a coaching agreement in place, but they never really um, understood it or valued it um, or – and I always, always, I would always go back. They say so they kind of signed it and went, "Yep, no worries." And we would review it every, well, like we'd have a catch up every two weeks. And you know, this is how it's going. Do we need to update our coaching agreement? Um, but I never really felt like that coaching agreement was the thing that 
it wasn't helping me. It wasn't, it wasn't helping me with my boundaries Mm -hmm. and it wasn't Mm -hmm. helping me, um, have those conversations with the client and, um, yeah. So I had it in place, but it just Mm -hmm. wasn't doing what I needed it to do. And I, I, I still don't really know what I would do differently in that certain, um, in that situation. Yeah, imagine there. I, that's that is probably. I think you're identifying an area that we still need work and practice. Is that yeah? We know we 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 do know these things, and as a as a organiz, as uh, as a body, uh, or the the body of knowledge in agile coaching. I think there's a room. We we definitely have room to keep practicing it and keep talking about it. Keep listening to these podcasts, which, like I said, I can't wait till I hear them all now. But. Um, yeah, I, I in thinking because my experience, I started as a, a scrum master. And so my original experience in agile was very much scrum the way it was meant to be practiced. I, I say we weren't doing scrum, but we were doing scrum and it was very solidly scrum. But I'm thinking about all the scrum trainings I've been involved in and this concept of the coaching agreement in doesn't really come up in the scrum master role. I think there's something new coming for coaching or there is the, the certified scrum coaching where I think it does come up. I think there's some um, probably some new training that the scrum Alliance is probably developing around this as well. But right now, at least in the way I came through, we just didn't talk about this very much. And so all of the, everybody who's coming through this path probably is just doesn't even have a lot of awareness I'm even reminded of all the other things that we do in Scrum, like working agreements. Yeah, how, how I was also thinking that's kind of how we do team working agreements too. Do we need to update the working groups? Nah, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we only really pull them out when there's a problem, uh, and then even then, it's like, well, now we're in the middle of the problem. How is or it, it's almost too late? So, I, I guess I don't know what I'm saying there. Other than this, this is an area to work on, and we have now a, a, another reason to talk about it. I, I do. I am sure the Scrum Alliance and Scrum Network are both very aware of this, but um, yeah, I think it's still getting out there. Yeah, you're right. It hasn't, um, same when I reflect back through my um, training, I I think the first time it really came through was when I did the IC Agile um, team facilitation or it might have have just been the Agile coaching one. can't remember. I think when I did the IC Agile team facilitation, that's exactly I was already, by this point, I was already aware of it, but that's, I think the first time I remember kind of focusing on it. And even then there's so much information in that course that it was only a a fraction, um, which is, which is appropriate, but I do think we have room to focus. Um, I think there's another, sorry, I'm talking a lot suddenly. Um, There's another side to that is that people that have come this way through the pathway of professional coaching and have the coaching certifications, it's easy to go too far the other way because at least with some less experienced coaches, there's an aspect of, um, there's an an aspect of, well, you tell me it's all up to you. The boundaries are, um, I'm thinking off the top of my head, so I don't have a good example of this. But there is an, uh, another way to approach, which, which is kind of the only ask questions. Well, what do you think about that? Well, what would you like to do? Um, and that's a challenge for agile coaching is that we've got both. We're representing, we're representing, we're teaching, we're mentoring, 
Uh, and so to be, I think, part of our job is to hold both sides of that, to, to have, maintain the coaching agreement and, as we keep saying, uh, work, um, work on that other side to represent the transformation and the agile manifesto, we can say, and the, you know, the goals of that. Another thought that uh, I think uh, nicely segues into uh, what Steve was just mentioning is managing perspectives. And I've been sitting on this topic for a while now, um, especially in today's hybrid world. How do you manage perspectives across um, your agile teams and even your own self, right? Like Steve was mentioning, if you are seen as somebody who only asks questions, (laughs) maintaining the neutrality, Uh, enabling creative confrontation, healthy conflicts in the team and letting them speak up for themselves. And I think it's very important, we can't emphasize it more than this, about the need for having a very trusted environment for the coach as well, for Mm. the organization engaging them to have a trust and confidence in the coach's competency, skills that they bring to the table. I've heard offhand remarks about some coaches saying, oh, she's very aggressive. Oh, she's not aggressive or he's mm-hmm. he's very quiet. Your coach doesn't talk in the calls. <laughs> it, it goes a very long way in managing perspectives in uh, today's hybrid world and uh, reflecting back on the boundaries where we clearly explain to them what we mean by agile coaching and how do we really plan to um, take an approach that befits this particular team the most than going with a one-size-fits-for-all approach. Somebody needs mm-hmm. a constant education uh, yeah. on that bit and reminder on that bit. Yeah, that's the mm-hmm. evolution part that's in this first so dot point, isn't it? It's like day one of a coach might look like this, but, you know, it's going to change every every single day. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's managing that as well. And I, I don't since I since I, I I'm worried what I, I I don't want to suggest that I am anti questions because I think questions are our best tool especially in complex environments the only thing we have is questions so I'm not saying uh, asking questions um, is the is the issue it's the yeah it's learning that approach to the questions and setting those boundaries around them so it's we are providing some direction other than oh what would you like. Probably. I mean, there's so yeah. many, there's so many specific situations where there's, where what would you like is exactly the right question. But, you know, when it comes to sprint planning, mm-hmm. what would you like is sometimes the right question and not always the right question. Precisely, Steve. So our second dot point um, is around uh, understanding our clients' needs and avoid imposing personal preferences and desires uh, and solutions on our clients. Um, And I mean, this one plays into some of the other sections within the code as well. But um, I was wondering, you know, when I was reading this dot point, I'm thinking, how does that work if you're a coach who is there representing a, um, you know, or helping an organization implement a certain framework? And the framework kind of dictates what has to happen um, and how things must work. Um, how, do, how do you manage that if you're in a coach in one of those environments where 
the way things are done are already defined um, and you're there to kind of kind kind of help them through it but also they've already made all these decisions up front very carefully i'm joking yeah one thing like i said i i did become i did come this way through being a scrum master and and working in an organization where scrum really worked and so i do have an affinity for scrum so i'd probably prefer scrum just because i know it so well i don't think it's i don't think there's any one best framework but it's the one i know so it's the one i like to pull out of my bag uh, of tricks quite often and uh, so one thing i do uh, and i think again having this written it gives us a way to talk about it but one thing i do is i recommend to the team or the company or with the people i'm working with scrum and ask if we can get you know have their permission to bring in scrum or they hire me to bring in scrum or however that works uh and then i'm i try to i remain aware of the idea that uh, what i usually say is well the the scrum would suggest this and always speak for this is this is how scrum suggests without actually imposing that but being very clear that this is the suggestion and it wouldn't just be scrum this is the example i'm using um and lean into this well let's try it for this period of time before we start adapting it that's one thing um i think i have more to say but it's escaping me but anyway what what uh maybe maybe you had some thoughts as well yeah sure i think um, many of us would have been in this uh, scenario my thoughts um, would be either you fight or deal with it right so yeah <laughs> right. a very different thinking into this um is to clearly you know i've been there as well as a scrum master where um, as i began coaching for a team i felt maybe maybe they should not follow scrum and they should probably get into a kanban mode but there is a yeah. very clear defined transformation roadmap there is a org wide scrum scrum of scrum and some scaled agile framework that we have we are already affiliated to we've already paid licenses so what i've gone about doing is uh, in, in, again obviously depending on the dynamics depending on the maturity um, of the agile transformation the organization is either let them start following it again take an empirical approach there truly as a coach let them fail clearly make it visible that yeah it doesn't work it doesn't work this one size fits for all model for the entire organization doesn't work for this particular team because they are very different the nature of work and the work items are different and then explain it to the management help them understand why this can't continue working in this way and why they need to follow something else mm-hmm. absolutely this is something that i've tried and uh, yeah <laughs> yeah yeah now I want to work with you Chatra. We haven't actually worked together on a, on a, with a, with a client only only an industry uh, agile alliance thing. So now I'm ready. Now I'm like, oh, we got to work together on a client because <laughs> this will be fun. Um Absolutely, Steve. I so look forward to working with you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, 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 me too. Always, but especially now. The this is where I'm going to get in trouble. Um but I'm not a safe I I'm not a safe program consultant at least not yet. Um and after I say this, I never will be, I suppose. No, not really. But um, 
Yeah. This one thing about safe is there's so much in safe that I found when when safe is where where I'm called to work, um, I can usually find whatever whatever piece it is that that wasn't prescribed at the T beats. I can find it somewhere in safe and then say, oh, okay, this is safe, and kind of move it in that way. Uh, that's if that makes sense. There's so much there's so much in safe that I can usually find a way to help the team get what they need within the safe literature someplace. So, um, yeah, uh, here's where I'll never work in safe again. Cause I just said that out loud, but <laughs> uh, let's chat about the last dot point, um, which is around challenging your client when their uh, purposes are at odds with the agile manifesto. Um, I think it's a, you know, it's a bit of a segue here as well. Mm. Um, how do you have any suggestions for our listeners on how they could openly challenge um, their clients? Here's my eternal challenge as an agile coach: is I find that a little, so much of what we do is emergent and experiential. That when you enter an organization, it's sometimes almost impossible to explain what it means to be what. Well, it's almost impossible to explain why this thing represented by the Agile Manifesto is an improvement over that thing not represented by the Agile Manifesto because you kind of have to experience it. So how do we, yeah, well, how do we challenge that? Um, why was this dot point included in this section? What was the conversation when you guys were putting it together? As I recall, there was a, there were, this group was, a, a represented a lot of very, very good experienced agile coaches, uh, from a real coaching background. And so the, the first part here about, uh, establishing the boundaries with the clients and the client's needs was very present in the conversation. And then there was kind of always a pull, but what about our call as an agile coach? So I think those, that was kind of part of the conversation all along was, yeah, we, we do want to do fair. We want to be very respectful to the work of coaching and also need to acknowledge the, the special conditions of the agile coach where we're not doing only pure coaching, but also representing the other aspects of mentoring and teaching and, I think that we had, we always struggled to what's to find the balance. I think this is one way this just felt like a way to find that balance. I don't know. Do you, what, what, how you experienced that? Cause you were in some meetings. I wasn't in Chaitra, so maybe, uh, but, um, yeah, that's, that's what I recall about the, the, the meetings. And I think, I think that tension of trying to represent both parts that was reflected in our, our work on the ethics, um, document is also going to reflect what's happening now that it's out in the world is that that tension's still there and we're still working with that. I think that's going to come out quite a bit. Um, and one thing that's worked for me and I do not know how to package it. If I knew how to package it, I would sell it and that would be great, but I don't know how to package it, but I just, I try to represent the agile manifesto in all the work that I do. It's just how I, how I approach things, how I try to think about things. I mean, I don't always get it right, but uh, I work, but 
this is my character. And so people will say, yeah, we're not sure exactly what you're doing, but it makes a big difference. And I think part of that is just representing, modeling, modeling the values of the Agile Manifesto in the work. And people are like, oh, he's doing things. We can't quite put our fingers on it, but it's not quite the same thing we're doing. And what is that? So that's one approach. One, one way is just to model it. How to challenge it, though. Um, I think one way that agile coaches, many agile coaches have found is through games and simulations. That's why we love, one reason I think we love agile gaming so much is that we create a, a artificial scenario where the value in the agile manifesto comes out in that simulation to help people experience it and then talk about it. So that's, that's one tool. Um, uh, you can't always invite senior management to a, to a gaming session. Sometimes you can actually where I live, uh, games are considered to be what managers simulation games are for upper management. They learn this in business school. So the, 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 the coders don't need to be playing games, but sometimes you can, the, the C-level people are like, Oh yeah, we have a simulation. That's great. That's what managers do. But, uh, yeah, it's, you can't always bring the C-level into these games. So what are, what are our other tools? Um, stories. Do you have any suggestions? Which is maybe where these podcasts come in again. Do you have any suggestions, Chitra? Um, I do. Uh, I would, uh, you know, walk in with this lens of uh, trying to establish the purpose. Why, you know, it all starts with why, right? So why are they even wanting mm. to do this? From the top till the, till the grassroots layer of the organization and how, importantly, this information is being disseminated across the organization. One thing is establishing, yeah, this is why we are doing agile transformation. Not We are not becoming agile because we want to become agile, but with a true purpose. And importantly, you know, getting it to um, uh, their, all their organization, all corners to breathe it and uh, really understand the true purpose and with that motive driving it. So I would look at it with that lens and um, you know, take that up. Beautiful. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, just one mm -hmm. final question before we wrap up today. What what advice would you have for um, agile coaches that are, um, you know, whether they're starting a new new in, uh, engagement with a client or they're struggling with boundaries? Do you got any advice for um, the coaches out there? Sure. So I would, uh, I wish you know somebody told me when I started my agile coaching background like a decade ago. Um, we always have a strong community to uh, rely back on. When you are in doubt, obviously go refer your ethics. Bounce off your thoughts with a fellow Agile coach. Pick up somebody um, who is a practitioner, who is a, they don't have to be a very senior person, but who is also a fellow practitioner. Use them as a sounding board. Check with them before you react um, or knee-jerk into specific scenarios that challenge your ethics or loyalty. Love it. Thank you. Steve? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That, 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 was, my, that was my first impulse uh, as, as well. And I love that um, it doesn't have to be the senior agile coach who's another practitioner, uh, which was so valuable in my experience. Uh, just going to other practitioners. I do recall, um, also comes to mind, Lisa Adkins, 
wrote a great book on coaching, which we just can't ignore. And it's not a new book, but it's always so valuable. So I think you find a lot there. Marsha Eckers and several other people have done, done other work. This is all very valuable. So there's a body of knowledge out there. And I always come back to the open space is a good tool for helping people experience these different values in a lived way. It's also a way to, as you think about as a coach, and even when you're not in open space, when you think about those principles of invitation, whatever happens is the only thing that could, and above all, it's not imposed. So thinking about those principles and from those tools, I think is another forward changer, uh, get a new perspective. Thank you. Yeah, that's my advice uh, going out to the community is looking at all these various things. Yeah. Um, Tooth Ross, Steve, thank you very much for your time today. It's been great talking to you. Likewise. Thank you for having us. Thanks for hearing us. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. It is brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile nonprofit and scrum.org. We hope you've learned something new and invite you to tell a friend or a co-worker about the podcast. Please go online to womeninagile.org to learn more about our initiative and find more inspiring podcast conversations.